Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOCS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday to defend and promote public education. That's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It is accessible to all children, whatever their background, uh, whatever their parents' background, every child has the right to enter a public school and be taught uh, and be educated. And we think that that is very, very important because privatisation and the private sector, in fact, are the opposite and can never be public. Uh, Public schools are also um, public in accountability because they are the only ones that should be publicly funded. They should also be publicly owned. Uh, and private-public partnerships, which some of our schools in uh, Victoria suffer from, is really not a very good idea. But um, we are also anti-state aid to private schools, and mainly because we believe in separation of religion from the state. And we're going to be talking about separation of religion and the state today. We're going to be talking about Uh, very interesting legislation, which is in the Victorian Parliament, although there is similar legislation in the uh, Federal Parliament, because religion has always been a sticking point. The whole idea of freedom of religious belief is a sticking point throughout history. Uh, We believe in having religious liberty, of course, but it's very difficult to have religious liberty if you take money from the state and you become entangled with the state. That is our belief and that is why in 1980 or really 79, we were in the High Court testing 116 and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So we're going to be talking about the Victorian Office of Justice website which tells us about this legislation in the Victorian Parliament. We won't be talking so much about the pandemic. We know that that there's lots of very interesting people up on Parliament House steps worried about pandemic and freedom and so on. But um, we're interested in religious freedom and the separation of religion from the state. Uh, Sorrell is going to tell us about Victorian elite schools that have reaped 130 million in JobKeeper. We know about the schools throughout Australia that have uh, reaped all of this money. But the Herald Sun, of all things, uh, wanted to tell people about Victorians' private schools and 135 million in JobKeeper. We're not prepared to either buy the Herald Sun or go beyond the paywall, but we have some information about this for you. Dale's going to tell us about the question mark over the accuracy and reliability of PISA tests. And Jeff, who is becoming very quickly an expert on what's going on in America, is going to tell us about uh, Texas and uh, various other places in America where they are burning books. The idea of burning books makes you think about... um, the 16th century, doesn't it, or the Middle, middle Ages, but um, one wonders what is really going on in America. 
And of course, Maddie has our great state school for us. But let's get on with press release 914, which you can see at www.adogs.info. That's our website. And uh, we are going to hear, first of all, from Sorrel, who's going to tell us about the um, Office of Justice website and the information that we have gleaned from this about the legislation before the Victorian Parliament at the moment. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Jean. So, yeah, as you mentioned, the following information has been taken from the Victorian Government's Office of Justice website, which you guys can find at www.justice.vic.gov.au. So the Victorian Government is proposing changes to the Equal Opportunity Act 2010. This law currently allows religious bodies and schools to discriminate against people based on sex, sexual orientation, lawful sexual activity, marital status, parental status, and gender identity. These qualities will be referred to as personal characteristics throughout this webpage. Discrimination is when a person is treated unfairly because of a personal characteristic protected by this law. The Equal Opportunity Act makes discrimination and sexual harassment against the law when it happens in certain areas of public life, including at work, school, or in shops. However, the Act recognises the needs to balance everyone's rights, including those who have religious beliefs. To accommodate this, there are exceptions that mean discrimination is not against the law in certain circumstances. The Equal Opportunity Act allows religious bodies and schools to discriminate a person against a person because of personal characteristics. This means religious bodies and schools can lawfully refuse entry to a prospective student, expel a student, refuse to employ someone, fire someone, or otherwise treat someone differently based on these grounds. Religious schools and bodies can only discriminate against people where the discrimination conforms to the doctrines, beliefs, or principles of the religion, or is reasonably necessary to avoid injuring other people's beliefs. For example, a religious school may be able to fire an administrative assistant who comes out as gay or gets divorced if the school thinks that it is necessary to avoid injuring the beliefs of the other members of the religion. A religious organisation may be able to refuse to provide counselling services to a member of the public who is transgender if the discrimination conforms with the beliefs of their religion. The Act also allows an individual to discriminate against another on the basis of religious beliefs and other personal characteristics if discrimination is necessary to allow the individual to follow their religion. However, this exception is very limited as most discrimination happens in the context of work or school. So what you're saying is that the current law allows religious bodies to discriminate. Yes. And in fact, the proposed law is going to change this. Is that right? Yes. So the government does want to change the law. So when employing staff, religious bodies and schools can only discriminate where conformity with religious beliefs is an inherent requirement of the job. In addition, when running a school or providing services funded by the Victorian government, religious bodies will only be able to discriminate on the basis of another person's religious belief, not other personal characteristics. Individuals will not be able to discriminate in circumstances covered by the Equal Opportunity Act in order to comply with religious beliefs. These changes will ensure a fairer balance between the right to religious freedom and the right to be free from discrimination. So can we, we, we think about that again? They're going, instead of just having a fairly blanket um, right to discriminate, uh, they're going to hedge it about a little bit. Um, you can only discriminate where conformity with religious beliefs is an inherent requirement of the job. For example, if a religious school employs a mathematics teacher, their job is to teach mathematics, not religion. So it's not inherent in the job of teaching mathematics. It may, however, be um, inherent in the job of teaching religious instruction. As, am I right, do you think? In, uh, yes, the in government is uh, not changing the law that allows religious bodies and schools to discriminate in relation to ordaining or appointing priests, ministers of religion or members of a religious order, 
training or educating people seeking ordination or appointment as priests, ministers of religion or members of religious order, selecting or appointing people to perform functions relating to participating in any religious observance or practice. Yeah, so they're um, still allowed to discriminate when it's inherent to the job. Which yes, when, it, when it's got a religious overtone. Mm. Um, I, I think that this, this change has come about because there's been quite a lot in the newspaper about ordinary teachers in religious schools that have been discriminated against on the basis of um, their marital status or their sexual preference. It's not just the teachers and, and the support staff and the clerical staff. There's a, there's a lot of staff involved in these religious schools. Of course, there's, there's, there's the uh, gardener, there's the cleaners, there's the administrative staff, there's even the teacher aides. Jean, Jean you'll remember the case of the uh, administrator up in Shepparton who worked for a Catholic school who took maternity leave to have a child and the local newspaper did a story on her and they discovered that she was unmarried. So had her and her partner were unmarried, yeah. and she wasn't allowed, wasn't asked to come back to the school, and she ended up suing them for, or at least taking them to a tribunal to get her re, at least uh, paid compensation for losing her job, because the Catholic school did not recognise the fact that well, they didn't want it publicly known that she wasn't a married mother. And yeah. this is in only what twenty years ago, Jean was. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, there's, there's been many, many, many cases um, and, and you know, in some schools it even gets down to how you're dressed or, or what, uh, what dress you've got on and so on. Um, it can be, um, well, it's personal characteristics, isn't it? Exactly. So it's a very, it's a very interesting law uh, and um, it's showing that the government is sensitive to these cases which have come into the Equal Opportunity uh, Tribunal. You're quite right. But look, we'll have a little bit of a break and we'll come back and Maddie is going to tell us how the religious pressure groups have reacted to this. They have some very powerful arguments, but um, when you actually sit back and look at what has happened and uh, what they have said and done, uh, there is the whole question as to whether or not there is religious liberty in Australia at the moment. But um, a little bit of a break and then we'll come back to Maddie. Uh, welcome back to the DOGS program. I hope, we hope that you're still listening. And we're still discussing the um, Equal Opportunity Religious Exceptions Amendment Bill of 2021 in our press release 914, which is entitled Religious Freedom, Religious Men Want to Have Their Cake and Eat It. And we're going to find out how they want to have their cake and eat it when it comes to this bill that is before the Victorian Parliament. Over to you, Maddie. What is the reaction of the religious pressure groups at the moment? Yes. Just before I do, I just want to ask a question. How is there not going to be discrimination when private schools, which are generally Catholic, are doing interviews? How are they not going to discriminate, you know, going under the radar? Like they, they get to pick who they employ. Yes, they do. You're correct. And you, if you actually look at the, um, the advertisements in the paper, usually one, one way is to get the local priest to write a, a, a reference. But, um, but the other thing, yes, Maddie, the, is, the, is the, they're actually explicitly defying that law in those advertisements, they're specifically now defying the rules. They say explicitly in the ads, must be of Christian background, things like that, which mm -hmm. they're not allowed to do, but that, that no one's calling them up on it. Okay, well, now there will be laws where that won't be, um, they won't be able to do that, but still the people who would want to go to those interviews because there is no separation of church and state, the I don't know, brilliant teachers who might be gay or transgender or whatever they want to be, they wouldn't want to go and be discriminated against in a school like that. The you know discrimination, I mean? the discrimination or the, the awareness of it seems to arise when they've they, when the people themselves have got under the radar and been employed, and then uh, there is a discovery that they are not what they thought they were. And uh, they are they are um, they lose their job and then they go to the equal opportunity 
Commission. You're quite correct. Um, and this harks directly back to what the Dogs High Court case was, doesn't it, Jean? Correct. Directly yes, back yes. to Section 116. Well, I, I, since you've mentioned this, I think it should be said that there was uh, 26 days in the High Court in a trial of facts in which the uh, private schools of that day, religious uh, men from uh, a wide variety of uh, religious schools claimed that they were not religious institutions, um, that they were no more religious than state schools were. Uh, and um, they did this because they wanted to keep their state aid and they uh, were very concerned that they might lose it because Section 116, if we followed the intentions of the founders, of the people who put it in the Constitution, is in fact a very strong religious freedom clause. But the High Court listened to the private schools and it is now a nonsense. We lost religious liberty in this country in 1981 and the religious people are starting to wake up. So how are they waking up, Maddie? Let's hear from you. Yeah, so this was the reaction of the religious pressure groups. Um, in the age, on the 16th of November, it contained a half-page advertisement signed by leaders of the Anglican, Roman Catholic, Hindu, Coptic, Jewish, Krishna, Sikh, Russian Orthodox, Zero Malabar, Islamic, Church of Christ, and Greek Orthodox churches. And they argue as follows. For people of faith, religious beliefs shape all aspects of life. Parents that send their children to religious schools expect that the school's environment faithfully represents the religious ethos in every respect, including the conduct of all teachers and staff. With this bill, the ability for schools to meet this legitimate expectation will be severely compromised because, in effect, the bill erroneously disconnects religious belief from conduct that is consistent with this belief. The bill unfairly targets religious bodies and educational institutes. If passed, the legislation would impose restrictions on religious organisations that are not imposed upon other sectors of society, including government bodies and political parties. If it is understood that, is, that it is advantageous for political parties and ministerial offices to hire staff who adhere to their beliefs and values, why is not the same standard being applied to religious organisations as well? This is an unnecessary and unreasonable overreach of government power and not appropriate in a tolerant and democratic society where the rights of all people, including people of faith, should be respected. So that's very interesting. They're claiming, you see, that religious beliefs shape all aspects of life and they affect the whole environment of a religious school. And that is exactly what they argued against in 1979. Very interesting indeed. Mm. Uh, and um, what about this um, Christian think tank, uh, Freedom for Faith? What yeah. have they got to say about it? They said I, I, think, I think the expression... Freedom for Faith and a Christian think tank is very interesting. Mm. The man, the person who you're going to read from is actually a professor of law. So I find this a very interesting article indeed. It's okay. quite curious. It's generally the right wing who need a tank to think in. <laughs> <laughs> well um, said. Well said, uh, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. We are arguing for freedom of education and... People are free to have their faith. We personally don't think that it should be connected to education and the educational system. Or be paid right. for by by taxpayer dollars. It's that simple. Yes. It's that simple. Uh, that's the crunch point. Yeah. That's yeah. The crunch point. All right, these amendments are a serious attack on the right of Victorians to join together in schools and other institutions that reflect their religious beliefs and to operate those institutions based on those shared commitments. A joint media release from two organisations representing Christian schools released today notes that recent private polling demonstrates widespread support for the current employment practices of Christian schools, with 78% of Victorians supporting the right of religious schools to employ teachers 
and other staff who support the values and beliefs of the school, if those values and beliefs are clearly stated. This support was across the political spectrum. I'd like to find out a lot more about that poll. This polling shows that Australians understand that in a tolerant, multi-faith society, schools should be allowed the freedom to teach their values and beliefs regardless of whether they are Jewish, Muslim, Catholic or Christian schools, said Mark Spencer of Christian Schools Australia. He goes on, parents who choose to enrol their children in our schools want an education based on Christian values, which the state school system can no longer provide. And this bill is trying to squeeze faith out of our schools too. Oh, that was Vanessa Chang of the Australian Association of Christian Schools. And she says again, once again, the Victorian government has shown it is completely out of touch with faith communities and does not understand how, how our schools operate in practice. Um, in the previous comments on these proposals under the heading B, the proposed Victorian law likely to be unconstitutional and invalid. That's very interesting. This is the, the professor speaking here. Mm. He's actually referring to the unconstitutionality of it, um, mm. and but he's not actually mentioning Section 116, which I find very interesting. Cherry-picking the Constitution. Yeah. Mm. Um, the professor pointed out a further problem that the Victorian proposals take away rights that faith-based schools enjoy under federal law and hence may in the end be found to be un invalid under Section 109 of the Constitution. So that is, that is Section 109 refers to when a, state, a state's law um, conflicts with a federal law and the federal law takes precedence. Right. But, yeah, so that's his argument there. Mm. For this and the other reasons referred to above, yeah. it is to be hoped that the bill is not supported by the Victorian Parliament. So he doesn't want to go down the Section 116 line. He wants to go down the line, I believe, that um, the federal government under Mr Morrison is going to bring in legislation which has much stronger um, uh, points in it for religious people. But even that legislation is under threat in, in Canberra. A lot of MPs, including Liberal MPs, don't want it to go ahead. Mm. But um, also those are the arguments of the religious people um, and, and the argument uh, that uh, political parties can demand that you're a member of a political party and have certain values before you get a job with a political party should be the same as um, a religious school demanding religious adherence um, is a very interesting one. But, and um, the idea too that, uh, that these schools, uh, their environment has to be respected and uh, that the, uh, the religious beliefs permeate the school, if you like, that is um, a very interesting argument too. But the dogs um, have some arguments against that. Over to you, Jeff. Yes, thanks, Jean. Uh, look, they are strong, strong arguments, but, uh, you know, as in the branch stacking cases before IBAC indicate, the difference between employees of political parties uh, and employees of religious educational institutions, uh, you know, are different. Uh, political parties are expected to raise their own money and be independent of government subsidies. Now, since the uh, dogs case back in 1980-81, uh, the... the, the the churches agreed to take money from the state and thus they should be bound by the conditions that apply to people who take money from the state. And that includes government departments. It includes um, anybody who has to abide by the modern institutions, dictate, you know, the, the, the modern standards of behaviour. And clearly they want their cake and eat it too, as you say. Um, so... Um, since 1964, religious schools are no longer independent of government subsidies, but in fact, most religious education institutions, particularly schools, are now heavily subsidised with taxpayer funds and could not exist without them. Some even receive more than 100% of the accepted school resource standard. And the freedom of faith think tank writer, 
mentions federal law protecting religious freedom from which we assume to be Section 116. But the religious men in charge of religious schools were given the opportunity in 7981 to protect the religious liberty under Section 116 of the Constitution in the Dogs case. They chose to accept and become dependent upon funds from the High Court, uh, sorry, funds from the public treasury, rather than be truly independent. They persuaded the High Court to read Section 116 down, making a mockery of the intentions of, of the original framers of the Constitution, English Clark being famously one of them, who, who mined the American constitutional uh, dialogues in order to understand why the Americans had a separation of church and state. Um, and that's what they wanted here. They'd been mindful of all the sectarian violence and wars that have permeated Europe for hundreds of years. They didn't want to have that in Australia, uh, like they didn't want to have that in the US. So the US has a very strong separation of church and state uh, principle, and we have, in this decision, watered that down. So now there is little to separate the church from state coffers. I'll go on. They persuaded the High Court to read Section 116 down, making a mockery of the intentions of the original framers of the Constitution. In 1981, mammon, being money, proved a great te greater temptation than religious liberty. So much then for the integrity of their religious beliefs. See the High Court section of our website. That will lead you through the whole arguments uh, around the Section 116 challenge that occurred, the dog's primarily paid for with contributions of mums and dads uh, who, who put up the money and finally won the right to challenge the, 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 the churches taking money from, from the government for schools. Um, since that time, the behaviour of the private religious schools has reached ever greater heights of mendaciousness. Every version of the needs policy introduced by governments has been distorted by religious lobbyists at both federal and state level. Australian education levels of inequality, like climate change policies, are at an international low. Religious groups, genuine and otherwise, are now paying the price for the loss of religious liberty they promoted in 1981. Religious freedom depends upon being independent of the state and its largesse. All citizens, regardless of their sexual orientation, pay taxes. He who pays the piper is now calling the tune. And the dogs totally support that, that these church schools should be held accountable and held to the modern standards where it's not infringing on their religious, you know, like no one's asking their priests to um, uh, be selected on the basis of uh, some other factor. They can select that. As they wish, we're asking that all that modern standards and sensibilities um, be applied to their employment procedure, and that's only the 21st century talking. Yes, whatever whatever else the uh, public money is being used for, it's being used to pay for teacher salaries because that is always the really big budget item for a school. That is correct. Yeah. I think the dogs caught them taking money from the government and hiding and building a church. On a school yes, ground, they, yes, they did. And, yes. That and, was in and, Churchill, and that's why that's they don't many, want. Over, and, and there's a lot of cases like that now. That is, yeah, they, they, they don't want they don't want oversight of charities because then then we we won't be able to say, well, actually, that's not where we want the government money going. We'll have a bit of a break, I think, and uh, sure. then we've got uh, we've got another example from Seoul on uh, the wealthy schools in Victoria. Um, reaping the benefits or uh, getting their hands in the treasury uh, in a rather corrupt way. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.
Yes, well, you're still listening to the DOGS program, I hope, and in our press release this week we referred to the mendaciousness of private schools and Sol has got the latest example. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So the Victorian elite schools have reaped $135 million in JobKeeper. Victoria's most prestigious private schools have shared in this obscene amount of money of JobKeeper funds, despite posting healthy profits. Dogs were not prepared to pay for further information from the Murdoch press, but we found this information from Red Flag. Why did elite private schools gorge themselves on the JobKeeper scheme in this way? The obvious answer is because they could. Private schools simply availed themselves of what a Liberal government scheme that was always right for rorting by businesses big and small. In its first phase, bosses could claim JobKeeper if they had a predicted revenue decline of 30%, 15% for charities, compared to the year before, where the reality matched their projections wasn't necessarily relevant. The Liberal government didn't check and still doesn't want to. The party saves its fiscal scrutiny and punishment for the workers and the unemployed, as the robo-debt scheme demonstrated. It's not just the Liberals who help out the wealthy private schools. Under the watch of both Liberal and Labor, federal funding for private schools has increased at least six times more than for public schools over the last decade, according to the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority and neither major party has any interest in overhauling the system. Not least of all, because their own ranks are filled with old boys whose private school education set them up for cushy political careers. To this already entrenched inequity in the school system, the COVID-19 crisis has added a particularly grotesque coloring. Elite private schools not only pocketed JobKeeper payments to fund capital investments, but also offered parents fee reductions. Wesley College, for instance, offered parents a 20% reduction in term two tuition fees and gave additional discounts of up to $2,000. Wesley College principal Nicholas Evans told The Guardian that several hundred Wesley families expressed financial hardship due to the pandemic and required assistance. How nice that Wesley could oblige them. This was not the case for thousands of working class parents who lost work or work hours due to COVID-19 with children in public schools that ran on shoestring budgets. Then there's the case of the elite St. Joseph College in Sydney administering Pfizer jabs to year 12 students, even though most of them were not yet eligible. Our class divided society continues to reproduce gross inequality in education and health. The fact that private schools have not only shielded themselves from the pandemic, but in many cases financially benefited from it, is a case in point. Thank not- you very much, uh, Sarah. It, it just gives you an idea of, of actually what we're dealing with here. Uh, but uh, there's almost no accountability for a lot of these schools. And the, it's not just the dog saying this, of course, it's a number of um, auditor generals throughout throughout Australia who are very concerned about the uh, accountability issue with private schools. But we'll have a bit of a break. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 200 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminawaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio. Your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Well, you're still listening to the program and... uh, 
one of the recent uh, developments over the last or 20, 30 years is that um, a lot of politicians want to have data, facts and figures. Uh, it's a little bit like the late 19th century when they wanted schools to be teaching exactly the same thing at exactly the same time so that the people in the centre had control over the minds of our children. Uh, well, Mr Tudge might want to do this, um, but um, throughout, throughout the last 20 years there has been a lot of data collecting uh, on an international scale, and there is the question over the accuracy and the reliability of some of this data. And Dale's going to tell us about it from the Save Our Schools website. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, this is an article from Trevor Cobold. Uh, a question mark over the accuracy and reliability of PISA tests. The OECD's Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA as we know it, has extraordinary status and influence. It's seen as the gold standard for assessing the performance of education systems, but it is a castle built on sand. New data published by the Australian Council for Education Research, ASA, called into question the accuracy and reliability of PISA and its league table of country results. The new figures show that nearly three quarters of Australian students didn't fully try on PISA 2018 tests. The ASA research found that the majority of Australian students, that is 73%, indicated that they would have invested more effort if the PISA test counted towards their marks. The ASA research also found out that only 56% of students who participated in PISA 2018 put in high effort. 40% said they only put in medium effort and 5% said they put in low effort. The figures don't add up to 100% due to rounding. However, 91% said they would put in high effort if the tests counted towards their school marks. These are remarkable revelations. How is it possible to accept PISA results as an accurate measure of Australia's education performance if three quarters of students didn't fully try in the tests. There was also large variations between countries in the proportion of students that did not fully try. For example, 80% of German students and 79% of Danish and Canadian students didn't fully try on the tests, compared to 38% of students in the four Chinese provinces participating in PISA, 45% in Taiwan and 46% in Korea. Across the OECD countries, the average proportion of students that made less than full effort was 68%. The ASA also found significant differences on this measure between demographic groups in Australia. For example, 65% of Indigenous students didn't fully try, compared to 74% of non-Indigenous students. 70% of provincial and remote area students didn't fully try, compared to 75% of metropolitan students, and 77% of females didn't fully try, compared to 70% of males. The most interesting differences was that 78% of socioeconomically advantaged students did not fully try, compared to 66% of disadvantaged students. This may be a factor in the decline in results amongst advantaged students in the tests over the past decade or so. These results suggest that PISA is not the accurate, reliable and valid measure of educational quality that it claims to be. As the renowned international education scholar Yong Zhao observes, the PISA tests are an international education juggernaut that created false idols of educational ex excellence for the world to worship. What they're really arguing is that um, one of the variables, and a very essential variable in testing, namely the motivation of the student that's being tested, has not been um, taken account of at all uh, in these tests. Well, all testing and all um, the, these uh, mathematical tables and so on deal with variables, but you can't control all of the variables all of the time. This is one of the uh, real problems with this kind of uh, testing procedure. 
anybody who's done educational psychology knows this. Mm. A, a recent study published by the US National Bureau of Economic Research based on data from PISA 2015 found that differences in the proportion of students not fully trying had a large impact on the rankings for several countries. For example, it estimated that Portugal's ranking in science would have improved by 15 places from 31st to 16th if students had fully tried. Sweden's ranking would have improved 11 places from 33rd to 22nd and Australia's ranking by four places from 16th to 12th. It concluded that using PISA scores and rankings as done currently paints a distorted picture of where countries stand in both absolute and relative terms. The PISA results show increasing students' dissatisfaction at school across OECD countries, which may show up in reduced effort and lower results. For example, the proportion of Australian students who feel unconnected with school increased fourfold from 8% to 32% between PISA 2003 and PISA 2018. This was the... Gee, that's quite a figure, isn't Yes, it? this was the third largest, uh-huh. third largest increase in the OECD behind France, France and the Slovak Republic. The fact that one-third of Australian students are dissatisfied with school is likely to manifest in low motivation and effort in tests that have no consequences for, for students because they don't ever see their results. The OECD says that the relationship between a feeling of belonging at school and performing in PISA is strong for those students with the least sense of belonging. Students feel they do not be- who feel they do not belong at school have significantly lower levels of achievement in PISA than those who do feel they belong. Australia is not the only country with declining PISA results and increasing student dissatisfaction. Uh, PISA results for OECD countries has fallen since 2000, while the proportion of students who feel they don't belong at school increased threefold from 7% to 22%. Of 30 countries for which data is available, all experienced an increase in student dissatisfaction at school. And PISA maths results fell in 21 of those countries. The possibility that student effort on PISA has declined helps explain the contradiction between Australia's PISA and Year 12 results. Some 75 to 80% of Australian students participating in PISA are in Year 10. While the PISA results for these students have declined since 2000, the results for students two years later in Year 12 have improved significantly. Well, that's very interesting because large numbers of students actually leave at year 10 and they would be the ones that are, in fact, dissatisfied with school, wouldn't they be? Or tend to be. So anyway, the article goes on to say that the percentage of the estimated year 12 population that completed year 12 increased from 68% in 2001 to 79% in the 2018 PISA. Year 12 assessments are high stakes in comparison to PISA, even for less motivated students because these assessments have direct personal consequences for future education and work opportunities. The important conclusion from the ASA and other studies of student motivation and effort is that PISA results could be as much a measure of student effort as a measure of student learning. Therefore, they're not fully reliable, as many assume, and much caution is needed in interpreting the results and drawing strong policy conclusions. This is very important because these results are being used by conservative and right-wing politicians to to engage in teacher bashing. Mm. Yeah, the new results also raise the question as to the extent, extent to which NAPLAN tests results might also be affected by varying levels of effort and motivation by different groups of students. To date, no such research has been conducted. It should be on the research agenda for ASA and the new Australian Education Research Organisation to better inform the public and schools about the accuracy and reliability of NAPLAN. Well, I think that the dogs might even go further, given the way 
Mr Tudge and others uh, are going to try and make the culture wars uh, an election issue. And we would go further and say that a lot of this uh, placing of testing uh, in such um, an important uh, position in our schools is in fact hindering a lot of the learning of our students because the curriculum is being uh, influenced by the testing procedures, which we now find are not necessarily either reliable or accurate. Or beneficial. Uh, or benefit, certainly not beneficial, no. Uh, so uh, it's most unfortunate. It's, it's, it's an idea really of educational development when you have this influence of testing. As we, as we should know from history, we have been here before in the late 19th century. But we'll have a bit of a break. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever, and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long don't necessarily start off with a Positive great Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Um, we're just going to talk a little bit this week um, about what's going on in, in America. It's it's strange. We're, we're seeing um, almost a Puritan um, uprising in America, similar to they had in the 16th and 17th centuries, as Jean was saying, and similar to what certain fascist groups have done in, in Europe, burning books. Silent uh, witches, eh? <laughs> now, they're just talking about it. But in, in practice, they actually had, and this seems to cycle on and on, over and over again. It happened back in the 80s uh, during Reagan's uh, time, um, and it's happening again now under, under the conservatives in the States. So what's happening is that, that various conservative groups are raising, aware, they're raising the alarm and contacting their state representatives and contacting literally individual school libraries and asking them to remove or at least to remove certain books that they find challenging, um, which they regard as religiously or otherwise pornographic or some other challenges, things like Of Mice and Men um, has been challenged, things like, uh, you know, know, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse uh, Five appears apparently regularly on their lists. 
And in, in addition to those sort of classic challenging novels, To Kill a Mockingbird appears every year apparently on their list of ones that they want to get rid of. No, um, not the books, I'm serious. I'm serious. These, this is apparently occurring, has been occurring for, for years. It's just now coming to the fore where they're actually suggesting burning books, especially those uh, which are important to the LGBTQIA uh, and plus groups. Um, it's because uh, they find it challenging to their religious positions. Um, and there's a list of about, um, but yeah, so what's, what's happened is, uh, Texas schools, there's an article here about Austin and Dallas districts. Now, this is in a bit addition to what I'll go through next week, which is stuff about that's occurring in Virginia, um, where the librarians have grappled with conservatives' latest efforts, efforts to ban books there. Um, there's an article on time I'm going to go through next week. But this, this week, we're going to... This is, this is a bit like Mr Tudge and him, him only wanting us to have a certain kind of view of Australian history, isn't it? But, yeah, um, that, yeah, but when, more you, when, you hear, when you hear about To Kill a Mockingbird, one wonders whether or not we're going to have um, we're going to have the Salem witches, uh, the burning witches, as well as books next. Well, it's 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 probably only a couple of religious extremists who are really calling for burning, but they certainly are wanting. They are definitely suggesting that. Uh, but then they've, they've literally rung up the the uh, Austin and Dallas school districts. They've they've rung up the Houston Library and. And they've asked them to provide them with a list of all the books on their list so that they can go through them and pick them out. Now, these books are actually on the internet. So major Texas school districts are resisting a Republican state senator's request that divulge information on books kept in classrooms and libraries as parts of attempts to remove titles targeted by conservative parents and politicians. The Austin and Dallas Independent School Districts, two of the largest in the state, so they would not respond to a request to go through a list of about 850 books noting how many copies the schools have and how much the books cost, the Houston Chronicle reported. And we'll continue this story next week. It's a fascinating story, and um, I, I, I really think it's a scary time we're living in. I'd much rather talk about our favourite school of the week, and Maddie is going to tell us all about this week's School of the Week. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. This week's great state school is Moe Primary School, also known as Elizabeth Street Primary School. Moe Primary School is located on the traditional land of the Gurnai Kurnai people. I'm sorry if I did not pronounce that correctly. Um, and I would like to pay my respects to the land of the organisation it stands on today and um, also to all other First Peoples past and present who now reside in the Gurnai Kurnai region. Um, from the Moe Primary School website, I'm going to read a little excerpt. Um, at Moe Primary School, we continuously teach and reflect on our core values as common practice. Our core values are embedded through explicit teaching and promotion throughout school. So there's three R's. The first one is respect. We are understanding considerate of everyone's rights. Beautiful. Respect is not usually a one-off event or action. It is at the heart of all behaviour, the underlying principle, how we treat and consider other people, the environment and ourselves is an important life value. I totally agree. This is great. The second R is resilience. We are brave when faced with challenges. Resilience is a quality that allows some people to be knocked down by life and come back stronger than ever. Rather than letting failure overcome them and drain their resolve, they find a way to overcome the challenges they face. And the third R is responsibility. We recognise our actions and make a positive difference. Our school values logo is representative of responsibility being constant and ongoing. We have an individual and collective responsibility for the environment, 
ourselves, meaning our choices and actions, and others, so family, friends, and the community. Aren't they beautiful principles? I'm very impressed and touched. Actually, good on you, Maui. I'm going to shoot some facts and figures at you from the ACARA website. The school has 80 pupils, and the ICSIA value of the school is 793. This is students a are hardly representative of the community. Yes, it is. So 1% have parents from the upper 25% um, income, 1% in the second highest quartile, 9% in the third quartile, and 89% from the poorest 25% of the community. This is a so school that's quite different to other schools in Maui. Uh, the the uh, school that's most uh, popular is South Street, not Elizabeth Street. But the actual what's going on here is perhaps the most interesting. This is a school full of genuinely disadvantaged students with a dedicated principal and teachers. It costs the taxpayer $19,000, which is well above the Gonski resource standard, to educate a student at this school. The school receives only $355,000 from the federal government and $1.3 million from the state government, $14,000 from fees and $21,000 from private fundraising. But the capital grants in the last three years have been only $521,000. This money is well spent. The NAPLAN results of these disadvantaged students are more than just fine. They are well above average in writing and the improvement of the students over time is greater than that of other schools. So congratulations to the dedicated staff who are making this possible for their students at this school in Moi. Well, our time has run out and thank you to Dale and Maddie and Sorrel and Jeff for making this program possible. And if you want to find out more about the dogs or what we've been talking about today, go to our website at www.adogs.info. But it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you'll find your hill It's there you'll find Joe, you're ten years dead.